guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Exodus. Now, the last time we were here in chapter 16, we were dealing with the journeying of the children of Israel from Egypt towards Mount Sinai. And the last place they were, or should I say, the place in which they were in chapter 16, they had journeyed from Elam to the wilderness of Sin. And it was there in the second month that they ran out of bread. And of course, they did what they always do. And what we will see that they're going to do as well in chapter 17. They moment and complained against against Moses, accusing him of bringing them out into this wilderness to die of hunger. And so yet God was patient with his people, as we see over and over again. And he provided manna for them. Or basically, we've heard it simply said bread from heaven. And with this manna, God gave instructions on how to gather it two quarts per individual every day on the sixth day you you should double that amount because on the seventh day which will be a sabbath day there will be no going out and gathering therefore it is in chapter 16 that we first see the principal institution of the sabbath now i talked about that in detail uh in chapter 16 so going Look at chapter 16 if you haven't in dealing with a principal institution, chapter 16, and the ordinance by way of law that will be given uh, later on in Exodus. Okay, but nevertheless, so with the manna, that is the gathering of the manna, he gave instructions on how to get, gather the manna. And in these instructions, we get the giving of the Sabbath day. And the Sabbath day was simply a day of rest where no work was to be done at all in context to chapter 16 no gathering of food but the principal idea is each man should stay in his own house no work whatsoever okay so now they were in the wilderness of sin the last time we saw them in chapter 16 so as we move into chapter 17 they are continuing in their journey toward mount sinai so let's go to chapter 17 right now. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and they grumbled against Moses and said, why now have you brought us up out of from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Let's stop there. Let's talk about that. So they are now continuing their journey toward Mount Sinai and they are now in a place called Rephidim. But what is important to remember and even what we see being Call to mind in the scripture that the reader may remember is notice they are being led by the cloud or as verse number one says, according to the command of the Lord. So once again, we're going to rehash it again because the scripture is rehashing it over and over. We see that where they are going and the places that they are being encamped. It is not by Moses's leading of them, but it is by the direction of God himself. 
So therefore, and remember the principle, and I hope you guys have been watching some of the earlier videos so I don't have to keep hammering the same point. But because it is God who is leading them, therefore it is God who has brought them to this place. If it's a place, as we saw with uh, lack of water or a place where we saw with lack of bread, it doesn't matter. God has led them to these places. And we also saw <clears throat> earlier that God had done these things in order that he may test them, that they may know to keep God's every single commandment. And so therefore we see God is disciplining his people in these very tests that he's given. But the sad thing about it is they're not learning too well from these tests. It seems like as soon as they get out of one test, God delivers them from it. God brings them right to another test, which is where we are now, where we, we don't have any water to drink. And once again, they fail the test. They fail the test over and over again. Now, before you get too tough on the Israelites at this time, need I remind you that we too sometimes can fail the test that God set before us as well. Sometimes we do really good and then sometimes we just mess up and we just mess up and just mess up and we, can, we even get disappointed with our own selves. But nevertheless, as the apostle Paul reminded us that these things were recorded for our examples to give us teaching lessons on how we should conduct our lives on our journey to heaven. But anyway, let's go back to the text. So they are in Rephidim and the problem here, what? No water. And what do they do? They do what they always do. They went to Moses and fussing, fighting with Moses, quarreling as the scripture says, with Moses. And then they begin to say again, as they always do, blaming Moses for bringing them out of Egypt. Now here, they're not looking back on Egypt like they were earlier when there was no meat. And we saw that in chapter 16 and reminiscing as if Egypt in slavery in Egypt was something wonderful and good to reminisce about. But nevertheless, they are simply blaming Moses for bringing them out of Egypt. And in this destitute place, there's a, here no water, they're going to die. And as we're going to see here, notice what he says here. You brought us from Egypt and our children and our cattle. I'll only make a brief comment about the point about the children, because notice even earlier, they made a statement concerning their children are going to suffer. You know, you're trying to give Moses that really, really big guilt trip here. But you will see that in the they're going to reach a certain point. And I don't want to get into it. I probably shouldn't open that can of worms. Numbers chapter 14, a point of no return after trying God for 10 times that God will cause this generation right here who is complaining and murmuring with Moses, that entire generation will die in the wilderness in the space of 40 years. And their children that they keep telling Moses who is going to die, you brought them out to die. They will be the generation who will go into the promised land. Okay. But nevertheless, they quarreled against Moses. Now we already know pretty much what Moses' response will be to this instance. Verse four. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do to this people? A little more and they will stone me. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Oreb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? All right. Again, the response of Moses, the people came to Moses. Moses calls out to God. But notice this situation is a little different before because notice what Moses said to God. He says in just a little bit, these people are going to stone me to death. So the quarreling that they were doing with Moses was different from the quarreling what they were did in other times that we saw in chapter 15, again in chapter 16. But this time it had elevated to the point where the people were thinking about actually killing Moses. But nevertheless, God patient with his people as always, calmly told Moses, take the staff with you that you struck the Nile. The staff is an indication of the power of God. And he says, take the elders of Israel with him. This always uh, forms witnesses, or as the writer of Hebrews say, a cloud of witnesses. But anyway, so take the staff of power, take the witnesses and go before the rock in Oreb. Now it says a rock, but actually in Hebrew, the definite article is there, the rock. So that was a particular rock that God was uh, directing Moses to strike. Now it also says in Oreb. Now we know that Oreb, Mount Oreb and Mount Sinai basically are interchangeable. Oreb, Sinai, Sinai, Oreb. But they are not at Mount Sinai at the moment, but what it basically is saying is they're at a region near Mount Sinai on the lower end of Mount Oreb. Okay. So you way down on the end of Mount Oreb. And so therefore they're just simply calling it all just simply Mount Oreb, but they're not at Mount Sinai slash Mount Oreb at this time. Okay. And so God directs Moses to strike the rock. Now it's not much to be said here, with retrospect, because later on this same, a, a similar event will happen again and God would tell Moses to speak to the rock. So that is a different uh, instance. You'll see that speaking to the rock in the book of numbers, but Moses will actually strike the rock. But here God commands Moses to simply strike the rock and the rock would give forth abundance of water. Okay. Now what I can say is this, we know the Bible says that rock that would follow the children of Israel in the wilderness. Paul said that rock was Christ. So in some sense, the rock is representative of Jesus, the Messiah representative as that he is God's provision. That is Jesus is God's provision to give man life. Remember what he said once again in John chapter six, Again, coming off the references of manna in the wilderness, Exodus 16, 
coming off that same reference, John chapter six, Jesus said he was the bread of life that God that came down from heaven. He is the bread that a man must eat in order to live. And so therefore, in the same sense, the rock here is provision. What comes from the rock? flowing water. And what did Jesus say in the book of John? That if you believe on me, as the scripture says, God will send forth the spirit of God. And therefore what? Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. But all of this rivers of living water is predicated upon Jesus. But how was this given? How was the spirit given? The spirit of God was given at the exaltation of Jesus and the exaltation of Jesus was not so much in his, in his returning to heaven. The exaltation of Jesus was when Jesus went to the cross. I believe that's John chapter 13 when Jesus said, now I am glorified. Now Satan is cast down. Why? If I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. The exaltation of Jesus is his crucifixion. John either 12 or 13. But nevertheless, here is the striking of the rock. So here is the striking or the crucifixion of Jesus. So therefore, this is what the difference you're going to see. And I was premature again. I should not have gotten into it, but I always do. So here the rock is, is struck as an indication of Jesus in his crucifixion. But once again, when we come into that, uh, the rock again, the rock will not be struck. Why? Because the son of man, Jesus will not die for our sins again and again. He will only be crucified just once. And therefore, after he is crucified, Moses only has to speak to the rock. Therefore, whosoever shall call upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. No need for him to be crucified all over again. So this is the spiritual indication here of the striking of the rock. It speaks to the crucifixion of Jesus in his provision of life giving waters, even the spirit as he talked about in the book of John. But anyway, so Moses obeyed the Lord and he struck, he struck the rock with the staff, the hand, the power of God. And of course, water came out and you always have to remember guys, you got about 2 million people. So this was not some little trinket, a water fountain of water coming out. This was a gusher. So therefore, again, this is a magnificent supernatural miracle. And so therefore in memor in memor to memorialize the event, he renamed the place. Remember they're in Rephidim. He renamed the place. He gave it two names. The first name he gave was Masa. And the reason why he gave it that name, because it literally means testing because it said they tested the Lord there. And then he also called it Meribah, which means quarreling because there, what did they do? They quarrel with Moses and Moses said, your quarrel is not with me. Your quarrel is with the Lord. Why? It's the Lord who led you here. So anyway, at the end, here's something I like to do with reference to those names. It says this because they tested the Lord, the name Masa, they tested the Lord saying, what is the Lord among us or not? Now that 
let me just slow, slow myself down for a minute. I like this part because it shows the arrogant nature of these people is the Lord is like, you need to show up and do something. God is God with us or ain't he with us? Cause if he's with us, he needs to do something. You see the idea of what they're trying to say is this. God needs to do what you want him to do. And God needs to act like you want him to act. And if God doesn't act and do what you want him to do, then you begin to say, well, apparently he ain't with us. So what you're trying to do is manipulate God. And that is an offense unto God to attempt to manipulate God. God is the one who is sovereign. God is the one who rules heaven and earth. And God is the one who tells us what to do and not vice versa. And so this became a stench in God's nostril to simply say, is God here or not? If he's here, he need to do something and let us be careful too. Saying, is God with us or not? Because Jesus said that he would send the spirit of God to be with us forever. He would never leave us. He would never forsake us. So don't ever ask, is God with us or not? When we go through a particular situation or things happen in our lives. Why? God is always leading. What did Paul say again? First Thessalonians and everything do what? Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus about you. So God is always leading and Jesus promised that he would always be present. So therefore let us not make the same error as the children of Israel to ask, is God among us or not? All right. Now let's finish the chapter. Verse number eight, then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose men for us and go out fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek and Moses, Aaron and Ur went up to the top of the hill. So now let's just simply stop. So they are, we are dealing with Amalek. Okay. And basically these were nomadic tribes scattered uh, in and, and surrounding the promised land, in and surrounding the land of Canaan. So in some sense, the scripture doesn't get into a great detail about this here, but in some sense, he is, he's coming against Israel to protect his land or to acquire the area where Israel is itself. So he's either protecting himself and or trying to acquire the area of Rephidim. So he attacks the outskirts the outskirts of the people of Israel. He attacks them. And so Moses just simply tells Joshua to arm some men together. And this is the first time we see the name of Joshua being called here. And Joshua, we'll see later on, I believe it's Exodus, what, 17, something of that nature. I'm sorry, 19 maybe, or oh, whatever, I'll look it up. But Joshua is called Moses's servant, okay? And so, and we also know that it will be Joshua who will become the next leader of Israel after the death of Moses. But nevertheless, Joshua, he commands Joshua to take some men and go fight against Amalek. And Moses said that he would go and position himself 
on the top of a hill and he would take the staff of God in his hand. So we, and that's what the part we're going to look at. So let me not talk about it yet until we get read the passage. Verse 11. So it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses's hands were heavy. Then they took a stone and put it under him and he sat it and he sat on it and Aaron and Ur supported his hand one on one side, one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So let me stop here. So it's not, not a lot to say, but still let's look at it. So now Moses goes with the staff of God. See, that indicates the power of God in the hand of Moses, okay? And also, this tells us by the whole issue of his raising his hands. Two things. By the raising of Moses' hand, it shows total dependence on God. It is a raise in victory, yes, but the victory only comes because of the dependence on God. And also notice what is in his hand, the staff, the power of God. So therefore, here's the another lesson that is teaching. Joshua is not winning, as we see here. Joshua is not winning because the Israelites are strong in battle of themselves. They are winning because God is going before them and God is fighting their battles. Because notice, as long as Moses' hand stayed lifted up, God, submission unto God, the power of God to go before them and fight their battle. They were winning. Joshua was overcoming the Amalekites. But as soon as Moses, because it's natural after holding your arm, remember a battle is not fought in 10 or 15 minutes. It's fought over hours and hours. So Moses' arm quite naturally got tired and you can see Moses' arm begin to go down. And as Moses' arm began to go down, they begin to lose the battle. And so that's the idea that God is emphasizing to them. Depend on me and I will fight your battle. So what happens? So to keep Moses arm from falling down, Aaron and Ur, these were elders in Israel. We know Aaron was a brother of Moses and Ur is an elder of the Israeli people. Okay. So Aaron and Ur, who had gone with Moses to the hill, took a stone and put it underneath Moses so he can sit on it. Don't have to worry about standing. That gives comfort. And Aaron stood on one side, Ur stood on the other side, and they, and they held Moses' arms up so that Moses' arm could be held up until the battle was won. And the whole picture of this is God's provision for his people. So we see two senses, two uh, episodes, pictures of provision. What? Chapter 17, the beginning of the chapter, the provision of water God will provide. And the end of this chapter, the battle with Amalek, the provision of care. God will fight their battles for them and they shall be victorious if and when they depend on God. Okay. All right. Final verses 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek 
from under heaven. Moses built an altar and named it. The Lord is my banner. And he said, the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. Okay. So now he finishes and he does again, a memorial here and simply says, tell Joshua repeat it in the hearing of Joshua, write it down in the book that God will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And we see this in first Samuel through Saul. I'm sorry, Samuel commanding Saul to go to battle with Amalek. And again, we see it with David fighting with the Amalekites again. And it is in David that the Amalekites are for the most part wiped out through David. So God did have war with the Amalekites from generation to generation. And so with respect to this memorial, worship and praise for their deliverance, worship and praise for their deliverance, Moses erects an altar there. And as he sacrificed unto God, he names the altar Yahweh Nisi. The Lord is my banner. And the whole idea is the banner. Remember, when men would go off to war, it would be very common for them to carry banner flags, flags indicating what nation they are, what group they are. So the banner would go before them indicating who it is. And that's the idea of what God is doing. God is the one who goes before Israel and it is God who fights their battle. And this is what Moses is memorializing. He calls it Yahweh Nisi, the Lord, my banner. All right. All right, guys. Thanks for joining me on that one. That was a short chapter. But anyway, join me next time as we get into chapter 18. And here we're going to be revisited by, or should I say, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, is going to meet him and bring his wife back and give Moses some very wise counsel. See you then. <music>